0: From Wyoming Public Media. This is is Spoken. Spoken. Spoken Words. Spoken Words. This is Spoken Words. I'm Micah Schweitzer. A lot of venues, a
1: lot of newspapers, radio stations, TV stations, ratchet up the truth. Uh, I guess we could call them alternative facts if we wanted to. So I wanted to demonstrate that this is something that was happening in America back on the frontier in 1874.
0: Jeff Gwynn is an author and investigative journalist based out of Fort Worth, Texas. Silver City is the final novel in the best-selling Cash McLendon trilogy, which follows the reluctant hero into his last stand in the Arizona desert. Gwynn first wrote about the heyday of the West in The Last Gunfight, a nonfiction account of the shootout at the OK Corral.
1: And it really got me interested in the way that the frontier was, as opposed to the cowboys and Indians mythology. Uh, Ivan Held, who runs Putnam Press, read The Last Gunfight and asked if I might be interested in writing some Westerns that really showed the way things were, as opposed to the made-up stuff. I thought it would be interesting to try, and it really has been. Silver City is the last book in a trilogy, and in each book I've really tried to get out there to where the book is set and experience all the things myself so I can really help the readers understand what it was like to be there in the 1870s.
0: In Silver City, the fictional villain Patrick Killer Boots Bradigan is led across the desert by real-life outlaw Ike Clanton, who himself was present at the gunfight at the O.K. Corral. Here's Gwyn reading from that scene.
1: On the third day, they eased through the mountain pass. Clanton said the mountains were called the Piñaleños. High cliffs towered over them. For a while, there were blessed shafts of shade. The air was cooler, and though the incline was gradual, Bradigan eventually felt his ears pop a little from the pressure. They didn't encounter anyone else. Towards dark... A rabbit rushed in front of their horses. Clanton yanked out his pistol, aimed, fired, and missed. The loud crack echoed off the stone walls to either side. That night, they ate canned tomatoes, along with the few bites of bacon that were left. You want, tomorrow you could practice with that Winchester, Clanton suggested, just to get your shooting eye in and all. There'll be plenty of room, no danger from ricochet, I see no need, Bradigan said. If all goes well, there'll be no gunplay. You ought to take a few shots, Clanton insisted. I'm handy with a rifle myself and could offer some valuable instruction. No need, Bradigan repeated. In any fight, he trusted his steel-tipped boots more than a firearm. On the fourth day, the land completely flattened, though a few peaks rose ahead. Ike predicted they'd reach Clantonville by noon the next day. He spent several hours rhapsodizing about the beauty of the settlement. We got the Gila River bubbling right past, and me and Pa and my brothers have dug a good deep ditch for irrigation, Clanton said. When I call it paradise, that's the correct term. Bradigan didn't reply. He was hurting. The insides of his thighs were rubbed raw after days of riding. Some cactus needles were stuck deep in his left hand. They were too small to cut in after. He'd have to let them work their own way out. Wind blew dust in his eyes, nose, and mouth. He was very thirsty but tired of the warm, brackish fluid left in their canteens and water cask. Still, he gave no outward appearance of discomfort. He never did.
0: Gwyn knows the pain of those cactus needles firsthand.
1: Oh, yeah. But again, I'm sort of a tenderfoot. I'm I'm more like uh, Cash McClendon in my uh, frontier skills. And uh, poor Cash tends to learn by making mistakes and fouling things up. And I'm sort of the same way. I wouldn't have thought to put it in the book if it hadn't happened to me. That's why I think it's so important to go to the places you write about. Because that's the only way you can really understand what happens when you're there, how it feels. And frankly, sometimes it doesn't feel so
0: good, but even that is helpful. The rugged beauty of the region did manage to outweigh the pain.
1: Like most people who had not really spent a lot of time exploring that part of the state of Arizona, the northeast part, where things sort of break up between mountain ranges and desert area. You sort of assume everything is sort of flat and you can just plod along. And what amazed me was how even what we would call the desert floor is so uneven up and down. And there occasionally would be these sort of ridges and then chasms just sort of where the the ground broke up and there's sort of this long pit that you could drop into if you're not careful. Uh, Even crossing carefully That kind of area, you have to really watch what you're doing. And when you think about what it would have been like with people pursuing you or trying to catch up with people, all the while in danger from a band of
0: renegade Apache who were also involved, you realize just how dangerous it got. Gwynn put his nonfiction background to good use writing the novel. He focuses on making his fictional characters just as true to life as the real historic figures who play significant roles in his books. The people need to talk the way they talked,
1: dress the way they dressed, and act the way people acted. As far as bringing in historical characters, I deliberately set the book in places where Cash McClendon, my made-up protagonist, could interact from time to time with people from the real West, figures from history, who would also act and look the way they always did. So in this book, uh, we get Ike Clanton. I love writing about Ike as a fictional character because in real life, he was so stupid, so mean, and so constantly drunk that there really wasn't anything bad he wouldn't have done. So he lends himself well to fiction. Uh, We throw in Geronimo, in his earlier incarnation as Goyafle, uh John Clum, the future mayor of Tombstone, we really try to get those characters in there so if somebody reads the novel and thinks, hmm, you know what, this Clum character sounds interesting, they can look him up and then they can actually see what he did in real history.
0: Gwynn picked up his research methods from his previous career as a reporter in Texas. I was incredibly lucky. To be
1: an investigative journalist uh, in the 1980s and into the 1990s where newspapers still gave reporters the time and the wherewithal to get out and hunt down facts as opposed to trying to gather them quickly off the Internet or Wikipedia. I'm one of the old school old timers. I'm glad I didn't have to be one of those old timers who sits around saying, oh, it was so much better in my day. Even though it really was. Whether I'm writing fiction or nonfiction, I always think I owe readers the same thing, which is giving them the best, most accurate story that I can. Books aren't cheap, and if I'm asking someone to spend $28, let's say, and then hours and hours of their time reading the book, I want to feel that I've given them everything I possibly could, and I want them to feel comfortable with what they're reading. And I never, ever write about any place that I haven't personally been. In Silver City, when uh, Killer Boots uh, chafes the insides of his thighs trying to ride a horse across desert, I know how to describe that because that's what happened to me.
0: His newsroom experience also shows up a bit more directly in Silver City. Cash McLendon is hounded by a man starting up a newspaper for the town, a writer who values melodrama over truth.
1: One of the things that happens for all of us is we tend to think that everything we experience is new. And in fact, history is very cyclical. And he wants very much to in some way or other sensationalize the truth because he thinks sensational stories get more readers Uh, that's how newspapers really got in place out in the frontier by quite often exaggerating threats of indians or a bank robbery that took place supposedly always exaggerating and let's face it that happens a lot in the media today there's so much competition for audiences that a lot of venues, a lot of newspapers, radio stations, TV stations ratchet up the truth. Uh, I guess we could call them alternative facts if we wanted to. So I wanted to demonstrate that this is something that was happening in America back on the frontier in 1874. There's nothing new about it. If we would just study history a little bit more, I don't think we'd be as surprised by
0: many of these modern
1: day developments.
0: The frontier, as these characters knew it, though, was about to undergo a seismic shift.
1: For a long time, it seemed like the, the frontier was endless. One of the things I'm working towards in these books is that in 1890, the government declared there was no more frontier to settle. So we're really looking at a period of about 75 years or so, when for Americans, the way to pull yourself up out of nothing, the way to become someone was to go west i wanted to capture that entrepreneurial spirit and and i hope i did that in the books of course there were guns there were occasional gun battles there were sometimes native american problems but i also wanted to give a sense of more day-to-day life so readers would realize It wasn't always one crisis after another so much as trying to learn to live decently under constantly difficult circumstances.
0: One of the highlights of the trilogy is how little violence is romanticized. The hero is just as likely to be working the counter of a bowling alley as finding himself caught up in a gunfight. The novels are set in the mid-1870s, when guns really hadn't established dominance over the frontier in the way we might imagine it today.
1: Prior to that, it was sort of a motley collection of all kinds of different guns of different calibers that used different types of loads and bullets. And it was it was really hard to keep an arsenal up to date. But then along came the Colt Peacemaker and the Winchester that used the same type of bullets, and it made those weapons more accessible to people. Didn't mean that they were accurate, though. And again, I'm trying to give readers a real sense of how quite often in the frontier, your fists and feet were far better weapons than guns because it was so hard to hit what you aimed at.
0: Gwynn says he has mixed feelings about coming to the end of this trilogy.
1: I've learned that when you create fiction, you really have to believe in the characters in your books. You make them part of your consciousness, and it's kind of hard to wave goodbye. But I also felt there's an obligation to readers who stick with a series, that they deserve to see all the main plot points resolved. If they've put in all this time and effort in reading, they need the payoff. I have never believed in the smooth and they lived happily ever after endings because life isn't like that. So I, I hope they feel that uh, the way this book wraps up would be valid based on who the characters have been and how they've grown and changed over the course of the series.
0: When Gwynn spoke with us, he had just begun researching his next nonfiction work. He traded the cactus needles of Arizona for the Everglades of Florida, where the alligators are plentiful and the mosquitoes are worse. This episode was produced by Annie Osborne. I'm Micah Schweitzer. Spoken Words is a collaboration between the University of Wyoming's MFA in Creative Writing Program and Wyoming Public Media.